0: Welcome to Community Matters for Saturday, December 2nd, 2023. I'm Richard Pyatt, program made possible through the sponsorship of Lakeview, Ford, Lincoln. Later this hour, you might know a young person who's had a failure to launch.
1: In Calhoun County alone, that count would be about 3,000 young people.
0: Star Commonwealth has a vision for a program to help those folks. We'll hear about it later first a legislative update it's that time again on community matters where we check in with representative jim hodsma of battle creek and we do that every uh five six weeks or so to check in on legislative activity even when session might not be underway like right now good morning jim good morning how are you richard doing well speaking of session not being underway now, this is probably an opportunity to talk about a session having ended in November and uh, the ramifications it might have on uh, bills that were set to take effect and the whole presidential primary thing, which apparently will move to February 27 from March in Michigan. So a lot of Things sort of tied up in all of this, but I don't know if we all quite understand the immediate effect part of this and and thus this uh, ending of session early. Maybe you can explain it in a shorter way than I am asking it.
1: <laughs> sure. First, I will tell you that the House doesn't meet between November 15 and 30 anyway. It's not on the calendar. It hasn't been on the calendar for The five years I've been there and for many years before that, so last November and the Novembers before in which I've served under Republican leadership, we also haven't met during this period. December uh, can be a robust schedule or can be a very um, ho-hum schedule. And for example, last year under Republican leadership in 2022, which might have been a uh, very ambitious uh, before change of um, leadership in the House and Senate scheduling. We only met two or three times in December 2022 before the end of that session. So, this is not unlike last year, as much as Republicans would like you to think or like those in the community to think that it's a lot different and that everybody would be at their desk working hard in Lansing in session at chambers right now or next month. Uh, It's not like that in November, the second half of November. It's not like that in December in many years. I also will say that this House session, we've had more voting session days than any of the legislative sessions I believe, in the past 20 years. So we've had a lot front-ended in this session. Uh, We also have passed about 200 public acts, bipartisan public acts, through the second week of November. And through that time, the governor has signed into law more public acts than are the historical norm for the period through the second week of November of this year and past years. So, it has been a very ambitious schedule. It's been ambitious because when the Michigan Senate did not give some bills passed in winter 2023, immediate effect, and by that, I mean that there has to be a majority of Michigan senators voting for immediate effect if that l- is lacking. Actually, I think it's a super majority. If that's lacking, uh, those bills don't take effect for 90 days following the end of session. Mm-hmm. So without that, we have become enabled by going into what's called sine die or adjournment of the session back on or about the 14th of November. We have now effectively allowed the Michigan primary to be moved up from March to the 27th of February. I believe it had been scheduled for mid-March as it's been in the last many presidential contest, contest and and now is February 27. In addition there are other laws which too weren't given immediate effect by the state senate. Those include expansion of Elliot Larson civil rights uh protections and repeal of right to work, those bills signed into law by the governor will now become effective by late February as well, since we went into adjournment for the balance of 2023 on November 14. And those won't have to otherwise wait until late spring or summer to become effective.
0: So uh, I think the... uh... References to with the number of public acts and things that have moved in the last uh, several weeks might be what my grandmother would call making hay while the sun shines, that is to say, while Democrats have the opportunity to have control in the House, the Senate, governor's office, uh, it's a little easier to push uh, what you want to push. And also with those two House members whom you referred to the last time we talked who who ran for mayor in those uh, suburbs of Detroit and won, as it turns out, now makes it a 54-54 split in the house. So I presume that that what you're talking about in, in getting all of this done is meant to do so while the roadway is a little bit more open. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, and using your grandmother's uh, saying, make hay while the sun shines, <laughs> like the author of the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, indicated there's nothing new under the sun. However, there is something new under the sun this year because I don't think anybody ever projected that a couple of our members would not only run for mayoral offices, but also succeed both of them back in the second week of November. So absolutely, that is a catalyst to ensuring that uh, we moved quickly. If there weren't enough reason to hasten what we did and get all done by November 9, and there were some early mornings and very late nights into the middle of the night uh, in the first two weeks of November associated with the ensuring that the presidential primary moved up to February 27, the fact that we fell into a 54-54 tie by reason of those mayoral votes and resignations of uh, those now mayors from the House that additionally incentivized the legislative leadership to make sure we got all that we needed to accomplish by the end of the year in the storehouse before Thanksgiving.
0: And so as a result now, the governor's called for a special primary January 30th, uh, special election April 16th to try and sort out these two vacancies now in the meantime there will have to be some kind of a working S here between both sides because it's 54-54 so does that just automatically mean deadlock and nothing
1: moves how do you see this i don't think it automatically means deadlock i will say that following i believe it was the 1992 state house election there was in fact a 55 55 voting split after that election in the House, and there was, in fact, a power sharing arrangement. What's different now is the party in power still has the elected member of its caucus as Speaker of the House. That Mm -hmm. doesn't change as it did in 1993-04 when there was a change up every so often, I think it was every other month or every quarter, something like that, where one caucus's member was speaker for that period, and a committee rotated between Republicans and Democrats. This time, the Democrats will retain the Speaker of the House gavel, and two will retain committee chairships. I chair the Labor Committee and the Joint Commission on Administrative Rules Committee, are continue to chair those into the new year. It's possible but not probable that following these special elections, the Republicans might split that. I think it's, as I said, improbable given the demographics of those districts in Warren and Westland. But it seems highly likely we will go back to a 56-54 majority, a Democrat to Republican in april after the general elections in those two house districts i do think that there is bipartisan work that can be done i'm hopeful that we will meet on uh, issues that are less controversial and pass those uh, bills that we can do bipartisanly in january february march i'm also eager to continue to undertake committee hearings. We don't do that when session has ended as it did back on November 14. But starting with the first of the year, we will again begin a robust committee calendar session. Uh, So we will continue to have testimony on bills and even uh, votes on bills in committee, just not out on the House floor. And understandably, a lot of people don't understand how much time is spent in committee And meeting with those who are urging passage of a bill or urging a no vote on a bill in Lansing compared to the time spent on the House floor. So it will be a lot like, I think, a normal session schedule, absent session.
0: All right, fair enough. So uh, let's talk about that which has been done now in the late session of uh, 2023. There's been some chatter locally about the local control component and solar fields. This is um, a, a bill that uh, moved through. And when we last spoke with Representative Leitner for example Uh, she said rather fervently she was concerned about the loss of of local control there but that the state really wants to as as, uh, has been noted have more control over these kinds of fields in in certain locations and maybe usurp maybe that's not the right word some of the local control that might have taken place in zoning and so on in uh, the jurisdictions where those uh, sites may take place. How do you view this and what was the intent there?
1: Initially, I was uh, not supportive of that which the governor announced back on August 30 when she had her What's Next speech in Lansing, uh, outlining her plans uh, for the autumn 2023 session. But as I've learned in five years in Lansing, there's a lot of change that takes place in a bill over a legislative process. Mm -hmm. And that to which I was initially opposed became acceptable and even embraced by me by time we get to the uh, early part of November because of modifications in the original bill that, for example, give local municipalities like townships, exclusive jurisdiction control over solar siting as opposed to the state having that control for a period of four months and then another four months. There were also uh, reassurances about things like labor standards and county uh, drain plans that um, made it acceptable. And as I indicated, even something I supported. Uh, What that Clean Energy and Jobs Act will mean. And as we're speaking today, the governor is having a bill signing in relation to that. At eastern market in detroit what that'll mean is that we will have a cleaner environment there will be good paying jobs created ultimately we will have i believe lower energy bills energy efficiency upgrades will become more accessible to lower income households i think ultimately there will be uh, more independence for michigan uh, farm owners who otherwise might not be able to use their real property as profitably Uh, to themselves, as might be the case, uh, as uh, the status quo allowed before the passage of this bill. So I think that there are a lot of upshifts causing me to ultimately vote yes on this. I will say it was a bill that kept us there late, I believe, in the first week of November. It gets a blurry couple of weeks out because we were there so late at night several times, but it passed it didn't pass overwhelmingly. I think it might have passed with 58 votes or some number like that, but it did get bipartisan support, and I'm confident from a big picture perspective, it's wise public policy for Michigan going forward.
0: So it it has more to do with just, than, than just solar fields. It has to do with a more encompassing viewpoint on, on energy usage. Fair enough.
1: That's fair enough. I will say again, we can't continue to act as if we're in the the year 1967 or some past time. I believe that global warming is a real phenomenon. And we in Michigan want to be a leader among the states in ensuring energy independence and ensuring that we do this now while there's still time rather than when. In fact, absent some providential planning, we have an emergency in in relation to uh, warming and and, uh, flooding and drought.
0: So if there's anyone out there who has concerns about that particular bill and the local control component, they shouldn't. Is that true?
1: I don't think that they should have significant concerns. Again, this is something that will be proven or disproven when we get this procedural process up and running. I'm certainly supportive of doing something differently as we did something differently. For example, when I was on the Calhoun County Board and we abolished the old road commission and uh, turned to having a road department within the county because what wasn't working wasn't going to work thereafter under the same old model. And I think that what hasn't been working, too many local jurisdictions saying we will not allow solar developers to come into our township has proven not to be how we go forward to energy independence. So I believe that we need to do something differently that's something new for Michigan and try to ensure we become more energy independent and more energy affordable.
0: All right. There was also action in the fall in the legislature that brought $3 million to the Marshall Public Schools. Talk about that, if you would.
1: That kind of gets lost in all that we've done the last couple weeks of session, too. But we did that in the first part of the first week of that uh, very busy two weeks period And that was a supplemental budget we passed. There was some forgiveness of debt to some challenged districts the Benton Harbor Public Schools District, the Muskegon Heights Public School District, for example, Albion had historical debt when the annexation of Albion to Marshall took place in 2016. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, all the Albion debt was paid off. All that remained was Marshall Public Schools debt associated with Marshall Buildings. When we had an opportunity to provide some relief to Districts like Pontiac or like Ypsilanti or back to Muskegon Heights or Benton Harbor. We also wanted to do something for Albion and Marshall Public Schools, which is the Albion Public Schools provider in that city of Albion. So there was one supplemental appropriation for public schools associated with this educational supplemental bill, and that was to Marshall Public Schools to be used in an Albion building. I think it's going to be used at the old Albion High School, now the Marshall Opportunity High School. It is unlikely it'll be used at the elementary in Albion. The Marshall Public Schools operates Harrington, just southeast of Albion College. That's because that building is so old, it would be like putting earrings on a pig to do that. It really needs uh, raising and a new school built there, and I'm hopeful That we may have some opportunity to invest in a a new elementary building in Albion for the Marshall Public Schools in the not too distant future.
0: Well, you talk about a whole other subject, I suppose we could spend a whole show talking about the notion that challenged school districts, just because they're challenged, don't end up without uh, infrastructure concerns on top of everything else that might be challenging them this maybe helps to alleviate some of that.
1: It certainly does. And I'm pleased that we were forward enough to think that the Albion community needs some relief too. And just because of the annexation in 2016, that Albion community shouldn't be penalized and not attain the size of the relief, say, that Benton Harbor received. So I'm very pleased that the Marshall Public Schools District will be using this As I understand it from the superintendent almost assuredly on the Marshall Opportunity High School which is a high school with some alternative educational opportunities that brings a lot of benefit not just to Albion but to Marshall and other school districts around the city of Albion.
0: All right before you go we should talk a little bit about the developments related to the Blue Oval Battery Park which uh, as many of us know, uh, was going full speed ahead as far as we knew uh, to the Marshall Mega Site for Ford Motor Company. And then a few months ago, all of a sudden, what some might have interpreted as sort of a startling statement from Ford saying, we're going to pause work there. And uh, one line sticks in my mind from that three or four line statement, which was, we've made no final decisions about Marshall and uh, left us hanging there for a couple of months wondering what might take place a lot of factors at work there perhaps uh, the uaw strike perhaps uh, the demand for evs might not be quite where uh, it was expected to be and so now we have a notion that uh, although scaled back this plant will go forward uh, do you feel that that is now definitive from Ford as far as you've been able to pick up? I go back to that line at the end of that statement that said we'd made no final decisions. Do you have a sense that now that is the final decision?
1: Yes. Uh, they're going full steam ahead. They communicated with me before the announcement the media and they too communicated to me that the footprint in Marshall will be smaller than initially contemplated. I will say the pause was in part connected to the Ford UAW strike. That, upon becoming settled, opened the way to this project going forward again, which it is now. There have been, by sales data, a limitation in number of EV cars sold. So I think Ford-like The other Detroit three are taking a look at how large the investment should be because there may be a question of how fully adaptive our driving consumers may be to electric vehicles right away. This is demonstrated by a recent lawsuit in administrative lawsuit in Illinois about what Ford was compelling its dealers to do in relation to EV charging infrastructure. But I think that it's just a notch backward. In relation to how far we're going, we're going from 2,500 jobs projected at the Marshall plant at the Battery Park facility itself to 1,700. But we lost 1,800 jobs in the first decade of uh, this century in Marshall. So I'm hopeful that this, with all the spin off, will continue to provide a great economic uplift for Marshall and South Central Michigan and be like I. Communicated, I thought it would be, and still believe it will be at the beginning of this process. The, the greatest thing in relation to our community, from an industrial economic perspective, since the cornflakes invention.
0: Yeah. So the the sense around Lansing is uh, maybe this is a little bit more of a realistic viewpoint approach than uh, before, given the situation. Is that fair?
1: Yes. You can't change a market. Just by producing a lot of vehicles that the public isn't ready to buy. Mm -hmm. So the market directs that we ratchet back how many vehicles are produced. It makes sense for Ford to open a facility that's less robust in terms of square footage and numbers of employees and be prepared to ratchet up that production as more of us adapt to electric vehicles in the future.
0: All right, uh, here we are on uh, December the 2nd today, and uh, you typically have your coffee meetings on the first Saturday of the month,
1: right? I sure do. I have those today between 9 and 11 at Mr. Don's on 20th Street in Springfield, and from 1 to 2.30 over at the bookshop on Superior in Albion. So if you miss one, if you're listening to this radio program now and can't get to the one on 20th street at mr don's please come and see me at sterling books and brew on south superior in albion this afternoon and i'd be happy to talk about all these issues and many others that come out of the last several months in lansing
0: all right and of course in the show notes for this episode at battlecreekpodcast.com we'll link representative hodsmus website you can reach out electronically if you can't make it to one of those uh, coffee talks today and reach out that way. Representative Jim Hotsma, Battle Creek. Thank you.